Thank you for your welcome. Uh, it's great to be here. I'm John, as you've been told, and uh, I've been coming to this church now for, a, it seems like a lifetime, uh, but it's been good. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm one of the community pastors and do all the odd things like preaching occasionally and love it. Um, on Friday, I was here and it was such a lovely morning. It was our pop-up pantry and also it was warm spaces. And we opened the doors at nine o'clock and there were people came in at nine. They can't buy food at the pop-up pantry until ten. But they came in at nine, they sat at tables. This was all covered in tables. And they sat at the tables and drank coffee for an hour. And then they rushed to get their goodies and, uh, and do all their shopping. And then back to the tables they went and sat there until 12 o'clock. And it was just wonderful to be able to be there with them and sit and chat with them and, uh, and, and they were just so, it was so lovely and, and the presence of God was there and yeah, I could go on but I fixed the clock, that was one of the things Mike and I did on Friday, um, so it's at the right time unfortunately, I don't know how that works to my advantage or not. Um, as we said, over the last, I think it's almost a month now, we've been looking at the church Jesus would build. What does Jesus want to see in his church? What his church should be doing, how behaving, what attitudes and priorities we should be having. What's Jesus' vision for his church? And so far we've looked at being a diverse church, a church where everyone has a place and can use their gifts. It's a church devoted to the Bible and to prayer, devoted to each other. Um, Jesus wants us to be a family uh, where there's a place for everyone. And that's just the beginning. We're not, I think we're halfway through the series yet. Um, the vision for what was Tyneside Vineyard started with David Bass having a dream. David's our pastor. And um, it, it, he... Um, well, it's a, a unique calling and purpose for Tyneside Vineyard. I don't know whether we, we did, did we get the... Oh, I had done some really nice pictures for you, but um, Darren's been working so hard at the back there trying to get my PowerPoints to work, and for some reason they won't. Um, I have a thing about computers, and <laughs> you remember, yes. <laughs> um, anyway... Um, David's vision was of a three-story building, or a dream that he had, a three-story building located in the center of Newcastle, uh, and with it came a call to serve the wider region, not just one small area, one locality. And uh, there are three floors. The ground floor was a warehouse or a shop-type place um, wherever, whatever you needed, you could come and take. The whole point of the ground floor was to serve the community in as many and with creative ways as possible um, to meet people's needs. That it would be a place where people could come to and be safe, feel safe, and be blessed and have their needs met. A place where uh, the kindness and compassion and generosity that uh, we see in Jesus would be there in all of his followers. A place where people knew they could come and uh, if they needed help, uh, we would be there for them. The first floor then was uh, 
24, a place of 24-7 prayer. That really excites me. Um, we have a prayer meeting on a Monday morning at 7 o'clock for an hour, and you're all welcome to that. And that would be a great place to start if you're able to be there. And we have a really good time of prayer on Monday morning. But imagine 24-7 prayer taking place. Always people available to pray with people and uh, who could come and find, you know, the hopeless coming and finding hope and healing through the prayers and the words of God's people. And then the, the second floor uh, is all of what the vision or the dream that David had was of a worshipping, singing people. All around the room were big windows that were open and the worship was flowing out of the windows and across the city in waves, touching the hearts uh, as it moved over the city. And you know, the worship was not just music, it was the actions and the lives of the followers of Jesus. That's you and me. It's, you know, worship is not just for singing. Worship is our whole lives. And we want everything in our lives from Jesus to flow out and touch the community around us. And as we pray and as we are a community, a caring, compassionate community, um, and as we worship together, revival will come. I believe it. We're praying for it. And uh, that's what the vision And today, we're focusing on that uh, ground floor uh, uh, about a compassionate church. A compassionate church is where every member has a compassionate heart. And uh, we're going to look at a story you'll know well from Luke chapter 10, beginning at verse 25. And it's about begins with some questions and answers from a man who is an expert in the law. Luke 10, 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Um, well, this man knew the answer to that question, but he wanted to catch Jesus out. Um, and so Jesus turns the question back to him and says, well, what does the law say? And he goes back to the source of authority, the Bible. And uh, the man gives the right answer. It's about loving God with everything and loving your neighbor with everything. But he's not, he doesn't ask a question about loving God. He's pretty confident that he's loving God 100%. But he does ask about loving his neighbor. And you know, a Jew's definition of neighbor was very, very narrow. A Jew's neighbor was only another Jew or a convert to Judaism. That was what he thought. But I think this man wasn't sure about that or wasn't sure whether he was even loving that narrow neighbor as he should. And so he asked, well, who is my neighbor? And I think he was in for a shock. As we go on in the reading, verse 30, in reply, Jesus said, 
A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. I wonder if this expert in the law would have been happy with that, that priest and Levi were leaving a man at the side of the road dying. I think maybe something touched him. But um, yeah, that's what they did. They see the man, but their hearts are not touched. And they cross to the other side of the road and carry on on their journey. They were busy men. They were important men. Um, and maybe this man lying on the, on the side of the road, maybe he was a Gentile. And they couldn't. Well, they wouldn't know because he'd been stripped of his clothes and he was unconscious probably so he couldn't speak. So they wouldn't know because by clothes and speech that they would have identified someone as another Jew. So he might be a Gentile. If you touch a Gentile, you're ritually defiled so they wouldn't be able to do their priestly duty and so on. And, yeah. I wonder, have you passed by a person in need? You've seen someone in need and you've walked past them. I confess I did it this week. I was in Gosforth and I walked past a homeless lady on the street. And as I was walking towards her, I felt a prod from God. He said, you've got £10 in your wallet. Give her the £10. And I walked past and I said to the Lord, I have to get to the Halifax, but on my way back, I'll give her the money. And I came back and she wasn't there. And, and I said sorry to the Lord. And I said, Lord, make her be there the next time I'm here. And the Lord said to me, he said, he said I'll wait until you have 20 pounds in your wallet. <laughs> I had a Sunday school teacher when I was a kid. And um, we had to learn verses of scripture and verses of hymns. And if you didn't learn it and you made an excuse, he would quote a, he would quote a French proverb or a French saying, qui s'excuse sacus. I've never forgotten that. He who excuses himself accuses himself. And uh, yeah, we want to excuse ourselves, don't we? Do you walk past? Do you walk past? Let's read on. Uh, Verse 33, but a Samaritan, I love that but, there's great buts in the Bible, this is one of them, you know, this, these priests and Levite turned their back on the man, but a Samaritan as he travelled came where the man was and when he saw him he took pity on him, he went to him and bandaged his wounds pouring on oil and wine, then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to the inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hand of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. You know, in the Samaritan, you have a picture of Jesus. 
You know, if you're someone who feels you're lying on the side of a road, uh, on a path, on a journey in your life, and you're in a mess, well, Jesus is the good Samaritan who comes along and wants to pick you up and bind up your wounds and restore you and bring you into a wonderful place. And provide. he does it all, taking it all upon himself to do. The good Samaritan had mercy or pity, some versions say, or compassion. Compassion uh, in the Gospels, um, yeah. That's, there's three passages I just want to, three verses really I want to mention to you. Matthew 14, 4 says, When Jesus landed and saw the large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed the sick. He also fed 5,000. He saw, he had compassion, and he fell on his neck. He saw, he had compassion on them and healed them. Luke 15, the parable of the prodigal son, the father's waiting for his son's return. It says, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him and warmly welcomed him into his family, back into the family with a great party. He saw, he had compassion, and he fell on his, he did something. He fell on his neck and kissed him and had the party. Luke 7, 12 to 14, the widow of Nain's son, his funeral. And it says, when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep, and raised her son to life. Saw, compassion, action. Compassion was shown by this good Samaritan. He saw or noticed the person, he had compassion on him, and he took action. Those of you who were at the parish nurses commissioning last week or the week before, uh, right here, um, Alan Dickinson preached in this passage. So those are three points of his that um, I've stolen. <laughs> borrowed, copied, whatever you want, but I'm sure he'll not mind, I know Alan well. Um, but, you know, this, the Good Samaritan saw a man lying at the side of the road, half naked, unconscious, bleeding, possibly dying. He didn't see a Jew or a Gentile or a Samaritan or whatever you want. He saw a human being made in the image of God who was in dire need of help. Are you seeing when you're out and about, when you come to church on a Sunday, are you seeing? Do you notice people and really see them? Do you look in their eyes? Do you ever look at people's eyes? I mean, people, I meet people when I'm out walking sometimes and uh, it's, you know, you, you walk along and you look at them and they walk past and say, all right. And uh, I wonder what they see in me. <laughs> I must look pretty healthy. Um, what do you see? Do you notice people but not really see them? See in their eyes fear, anxiety, pain or sadness, joy, signs of illness. You know, there's so much pain and hurt in our world today. And so much need so much suffering, so much anxiety, all that's going on politically and socially and economically. Do you notice? Do you see? 
or are we too busy rushing around, rushing to get the shopping done, rushing to get that work issue solved, rushing to get the computer working, or to catch a train or whatever. I was challenged when I was pastoring in my church one Sunday, someone came to me and said, you know, you ignored a lady in the church this morning before the service started. And uh, I went to speak to her about it and uh, she said, you walked right past me and you didn't even say hello. And my excuse on a Sunday morning, and Nicola will be the same, she says, I have lots of things on my mind. I have my sermon on my mind. There's things that need to be done. I need to make sure they're happening. And Yeah, it's like that. <laughs> so, be, you know, be sympathetic to your pastors on a Sunday morning. Um, yeah, but, yeah, was that a good excuse? No, no. If I'd looked, I would have seen need. If I looked in her eyes, I would have seen need, but I was just too busy. Do you look around? Look around after the service when you're having coffee. Look in the eyes. Look, seek discernment from God. What do you see, Lord? How can I show the compassion of the good Samaritan? He had compassion on him, is the second point. He had compassion. It says he took pity. The Greek word for compassion is one of my favorites, splagonitsumai. Doesn't sound very compassionate, does it? Splagonitsumai. I mean, it'd be better if it was shooting somewhere or something, splagon. But anyway, the root is splaga, and it means internal organs. Uh, older versions used to speak of the bowels of compassion. And when I was a kid, I didn't understand that at all because, you know, <laughs> I thought, well, does he have diarrhea? What is it? <laughs> and, and, and because when I was ill and the doctor came, he would ask, have your bowels moved? <laughs> and I, oh, I didn't know what that meant. My mom had to explain that to me. So the bowels of compassion, well, it's just saying that this is a deep, deep feeling right down here in your stomach that you feel something that's really really compassionate. I mean, it's compassion is this deep sympathy, deep concern for the sufferings of others. And it just gets you right here in your guts, as it were. And, and it's a desire then to alleviate such suffering. Being moved with sympathetic pity. I did a, a when, well, years and years ago, uh, a soup run uh, down in Bournemouth when I lived there and used to go around derelict houses and where there were drug addicts and homeless people and uh, one homeless couple were in an upstairs room in a house and they just had a mattress and they had, they had needs, one of them had mental problems and we went one evening and they were both looking really sad and uh, we gave them their soup and uh, they said <laughs> we're expecting a baby and I thought, oh, and I could see in this man's face just the anxiety and the worry about what's, how they were going to manage having a baby living in a, a cold room and so on. And, and I gave him a hug. And as I hugged him, he wept and wept and I wept and he wept and, and I prayed for him and, and we promised that we would do something 
and so left them and I went back the next evening they were gone about three years later I was walking down the street in Bournemouth and there was a shout and I looked across and I saw a couple with a little toddler and I didn't recognize them they were well dressed and they had this lovely little boy and they came over and said you don't remember me I'm Jim and I said yes I remember you now when I saw him and they had got their lives together. He said, it all began when you prayed and when you hugged me. Um, you just don't know. A little act of kindness and love. And thirdly, he saw, he had compassion and he acted. He got off his donkey, got close to the man. He assesses his condition. Literally, it says that he poured oil and wine over his wounds to cleanse them and sanitize them and so on. He bandaged him. He probably had to tear up some of his own clothes to bandage this man because the man had been stripped of his clothes. Um, and he lifts him onto his donkey, he reverses position. You know, he's, the man's on the, on the donkey now and he's walking and uh, takes him to an inn, provides accommodation for him, stays with him that night. You know, it was very dangerous. He took a real risk to do that. Because um, if this man should happen to be a Jew, then he had defiled him. Uh, but he doesn't care about that. He's more concerned for the man. Nor does he care that he could be called a traitor by the Samaritans because he had helped a Jew, if the victim was a Jew. But he doesn't care. His concern is to meet the man's needs. And he generously pays all the cost. He takes the whole burden upon himself. He responded with genuine, generous, compassionate action. What does it mean for us to be a compassionate church? Well, I've brought a bag of goodies here, which I'm going to show you. Um, tin of Frey Bentus steak and kidney pie. I used to love that when I was a child, my mum. A tin of peas and carrots, and we'll have a tin of potatoes. Um, this is, and some other stuff that I bought that I'm going to put in the collection over there for the pantry, or the pantries. Um, three tins of food that will find themselves in a pop-up pantry or in the pan biker pantry, helping people make ends meet and will make a difference to someone's lives. Jill is a single mum with two kids. She works 40 hours on minimum wage. She's trying everything to make ends meet, but it's impossible. She's looking for a second job, but in reality with the kids, it's just not possible. So she lies in bed at night, crying with stress and worry. The only way she is feeding the kids is to miss some meals herself. The kids are eight and ten years old, are fully aware that their mom is missing meals, but they just stay quiet, carry this worry with them everywhere. And every night, the mum sits down with a budget and a pen. If only I could find another 50 pounds a month, she thinks, I might be okay. I might be able to feed myself to survive. But then she hears about the biker pantry. So she pops in. She's a little worried. She's never, uh, never wanted to go to a food bank or anything like that. But she's greeted with the smiles of Anne and Mike over there and the team. That's not what she expected. 
so she has ten pounds with her and she joins the pantry so that she'll have food for the next four or five days. She grabs a basket, fills it with twice the amount of food she expected she'd be able to buy and she had spotted the Frey Bentus pie. It's her boy's favourite and she'd not been able to afford it before. She grabs that and a tin of vegetables and a tin of potatoes, heads to the checkout, knowing that she has enough for herself as well as her kids for that evening meal. So she leaves the pantry with a smile on her face, the first one in a long time. She places the pie and the potatoes and veg in front of her kids. The boy's face lights up, and even more so when he sees that his mom is eating too. That night she sits down with her budget and pen, but this time she's able to adjust the figures. Her food bill could drop by 50 pounds a month. This could be the answer, she thinks, because that's what the pantry allows to happen in someone's life. And so for the first time again in a long while, she's not crying in bed. Instead, she falls asleep with a glimmer of hope. That's what a compassionate church can do. I wonder, as you heard that story of the pie and the potatoes and the veg being put on a table for her kids by a smiling mum, what did you feel? Were you moved with compassion as you heard the story? Of course, it's not a real family, but yet it represents far too many families. The people we support are not faceless, they are the Jills of this world. Real people facing real need and impossible challenges for some of them. And it's only when we stop, when we look, when we see and truly see the stories of people's lives that we should be moved with compassion to take action. Has anybody heard of Amy Semple McPherson? Well, (laughs) I'll tell you a little bit about her. She was an evangelist in America in the States. She had a gift of healing, healed thousands of people, and they were all verified. Uh, And um, she founded what became Four Square Church in America. She was very beautiful, a very flamboyant preacher, theatrical in her services, and she had thousands attending Uh, the meetings that she held, wherever she went, and she eventually built a large church. She had weaknesses and failings, like you and me, and she had a few scandals that both made her infamous but also greatly spoiled her ministry. But her biographer wrote, he says, ask anyone who remembers the depression in Los Angeles about Amy Semple McPherson. They may not remember that she was a Pentecostal or that she tinted her hair or got kidnapped, but everyone recalls that she kept tens of thousands of people from starving to death. She mobilized her church. When the school stopped feeding children free lunches, Amy took over the program. When city welfare agencies staggered under the loads of beggars, the woman of her church sewed quilts and baked loaves of bread by the thousands. It became the only place anyone could get a meal, clothing or blankets, no questions asked. On the wall, she hung up her motto, anybody and everybody 
is somebody to Jesus. I like that. Anybody and everybody is somebody to Jesus. Whoever you see this week on the street, in church, wherever you go at your workplace, on the shopping, everybody or anybody you see is somebody to Jesus. So what can you do? It takes the whole church to demonstrate the compassion of Jesus. Do you know, in this passage, we see the compassion the compassionate heart of Jesus in the, Samaritan, the Good Samaritan. And it will take all of us, all of us playing our part to demonstrate the full compassion of Jesus to this hurting and anxious region that we live in. So what might you do? Well, it might be like picking up one of those cards that uh, um, Nicola was showing you earlier, making a promise to provide some stuff that's going to bring some joy at Christmas. It might mean bringing one tin of, of veg and dropping it into the basket over there or a pair of, of shoes uh, for grass boots. For others it might be you can bring a few items or even a bag of food. If we're going to meet the needs, we need those who give the one tin and those who can give a bag full. It's all together we work at this. If we're going to meet needs, we need everyone. Not as a one-off, but as a part of our worship. For others of you, it might mean, well, you become a volunteer. It's great fun and uh, joyful and, and exciting to see we are touching lives and bringing hope. We need volunteers to help sort stock in the, in the various stores where we have it. Or helping to run the pantries when they are open. For others, you may be able to give money. On top of your regular giving. Or you can organize a collection of shoes uh, as a kind of a local kids project or a football team or a scouts group. Some of you have already been thinking about a need that needs to be met and nobody's doing it. And you have an idea, you have a vision. Well, go for it. If we all do our bit, if we all play our part, we can make an incredible difference, not just to the four or five hundred people we're influencing each week now, but to many more as these projects grow. If we all do our bit, if we all see people in our region in their need, see them as the people God created, if we are truly if we truly see and are moved with compassion, and that compassion leads us to act, then we will make an outrageous difference. More than that, we will demonstrate the love and the compassion of Jesus to this needy community. And we have opportunities here on Friday mornings to, to share the good news about Jesus. We have people who begin, we are changing their view of church. They're beginning to think, oh, Christians are all right. Actually, they're quite nice people. I can tell you that. You're quite nice people. <laughs> and that's great. Changing their attitudes. The church Jesus would build is a compassionate church where everyone plays their part. Where everybody, anybody is somebody to Jesus. Amen.